There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Welcome to episode 17 of Flames Nation Radio, the podcast that says, yes, we would like to critique every win. Uh, I'm Ryan Pike, joined by Shane Stevenson, like always. Hi, Shane. Hello, everybody. And like every week, we're brought to you by DoorDash and by our friends at Eau Claire Distillery, who, who give you Rupert's Whiskey, the official whiskey of the Calgary Flames. Nothing, nothing like having dual sponsors. So this week, is a unique week because by the time you're listening to this, the flames are in the middle of the all-star break. So talking for some length about games that happened probably close to a week ago might not be terribly fun, but uh, as, as the, the managing editor of flames nation, I do the, the weekly mailbag. And the one question I get more often than not, sometimes not even the mailbag, sometimes from relatives from acquaintances, from people who dropping into my DMs, from people, basically anyone I know. Ryan, what's happening with Johnny Gaudreau? So Shane and I felt that it's probably about time, 42 games into the season, by the time you're listening to this, to talk about Johnny Gaudreau. Shane, what do you think? Should we talk about Johnny Gaudreau? I think it's, uh, it's uh, you know, we've kind of been patient and waiting because we're like, well, let's not urgently rush this, um, but you know, the conversation has to happen. It has to happen before the trade deadline. And now with a nice break coming up, it's as good as any to discuss not only everything Johnny's done for Calgary, but what Johnny could possibly do for the future and such. So, yeah, I, I think it's, I mean, I love talking about Johnny Gaudreau. He's, he's fantastic. So you'll never hear me say no. So, so, so Johnny Gaudreau is a, a 20 year old left shot left wing from Carney's point, New Jersey. Uh, for those of you who aren't familiar with New Jersey geography, Carney's Point is a township across the Delaware River from Philadelphia. So uh, for those of you going, New Jersey, doesn't that mean he grew up a Devils fan? No, he grew up and basically played his, his minor league hockey in the Philadelphia area. Mm. Uh, he, you know, he came up through Philadelphia minor hockey. He played with Gloucester Prep, Gloucester Prep, Gloucester Prep, uh, you know, it's basically the local high school. And then he went the first time he left home for an extended period of time was when, as a 17-year-old, he went to play in scenic Dubuque, Iowa, to play for the Dubuque Fighting Saints. And back then, you know, since then, Shane, the, the, the USHL has become probably the fourth best junior league in the world, easily. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, and it's the gap between the USHL and the, Can- the three Canadian major junior leagues isn't that big. It used to be that if you threw, like, say, let's just say you threw the Moose Jaw Warriors out there against the Dubuque Fighting Saints, 
it would be a bloodbath. Like the, the Fighting Saints would not hold a candle to an average major junior hockey team in Canada. The, the gap is closed tremendously. Uh, and as a result, in recent years, the USHL has become probably the, the, the third or fourth best league in the world at this point for producing under 18 talent and draft eligible talent from the National Hockey League. Uh, case in point, uh, Calgary Flames' first round pick in 2021, Matthew Coronado, was a product uh, of the Chicago Steel. And the Chicago Steel are probably the best hockey producing program outside of the London Knights in North America. Maybe you can make a case for the U.S. National Development Program, but well, that's, that's playing, the national development team playing the USHL teams has helped that a lot. And look no further than uh, the 2023 draft. Everyone talks about two guys, Connor Bedard, and Matt Vaynikov. There's a third guy. He's playing in the USHL right now. His name's Adam Fantilli. For He's the Chicago Steel. For the Chicago Steel. The kid is legit. He is, he is projecting to be a top player in the NHL. And like I said, he's, he's the third. Like you, if you, you see, you, you've heard about Bedard and Mikov and seen them at the World Juniors. You're going to see them again in August at the World Juniors. And, but Fantilli is someone to keep your eye on as well if you're a team planning to struggle next year. Anyways. So, so the, yeah, the USHL back in 2010 when Johnny Gaudreau headed over there was, it was, considered an up-and-coming league but it wasn't quite where it is now and so Johnny Gaudreau put up let's be honest pretty damn good numbers I believe he was fourth in that league in scoring coincidentally number one in that league in scoring was current Flames teammate Blake Coleman who at that point was a 19 year old uh, two years older than Johnny Gaudreau so Gaudreau at uh, he was listed by Central Scouting that year in the combine as 5'6 and 137 pounds probably with his gear on he was 137 pounds so he was teeny Fun tiny and he was fourth coach, in scoring coach was jim montgomery former nhl coach jim montgomery fourth at dubuque, dubuque at that time so and yeah i believe jim montgomery's when he was in dubuque he went on to actually i believe he coached uh, for a while uh at the university of denver denver university he, he coached uh he, he coached a few places in the ncaa he's coached the nhl so at that point you know but at that point jim montgomery was considered an upcomer uh so Gaudreau put up 72 points in 61 games or 60 games. He was very, very good, fourth in scoring, but teeny tiny. He was ranked, uh, I believe, something around 190 or 188, 190th by Central Scouting amongst North America skaters. And, you know, for the folks who went, well, 72 points, he's only ranked that low. Yeah, he's ranked pretty low because he had uh, his track record at that point in his draft year was one year of, of you know junior a hockey at that point against players that you know it wasn't really clear uh the you know who the quality of players he was playing against uh it's sort of the similar challenge that people have now projecting players from the from you know the the ajhl the bchl the canadian you know junior circuit because you, you don't really know the quality of players that they're playing with so they always have translation questions and the other thing with Gaudreau is he played one year of hockey at a relatively high level and the rest of the time he was just ragdolling people in you know a high school league or a local local bantam and midget so he was he had insanely good numbers from basically the time he started playing organized hockey but the big knock on him was a he was small and b well yeah you're doing it against guys that no one cares about and aren't very good and then he tore up the ushl and the flames went and they they that that was the first year I remember this very fondly. That was the first year of the the Jay Feaster, John Weisbrod yes. regime. And that was the year where the, the real big thing they did was they basically went in, sat the scouts down, said, here are the clear criteria for what a Calgary Flames player will be. 
And they've said, and this is what it looks like when you go to scout them. This is how you know what this is. And at that point, they, they did a thing they called working the list. And so what the Flames did and currently still do is they go in and they all the scouts go out and do their scouting thing and put in reports. And then they all come back in and, you know, for certain players, you know, your regional scouts, like if, if Shane is the OHL scout and I'm the WHL scout, I'll go in and I'll put in reports and everyone we want to do reports on for the Western league players. And he'll do the same thing for the OHL players. And then we'll switch. So half, you know, close to the end of the season, you know, if there's a few guys you're like, man, Ryan, I really like this guy. Can I get a second opinion? You send me in and I'll, I'll, I'll cross check them. I won't read your report. You just simply say, go, go to this game and check out these guys. Make your own report. And then the GM can look at both reports and yeah. see what similarities are between the scouts and just get a more accurate picture of the player in, in general. So, and, and then, they, and then they you all know your scouts, like, you know, your players, like, you know, which scouts look, we can find the best skating and tribute. And, and, and you know, and you know, which scouts are your hard asses. So if you're yeah. excited about a player, you send your hard ask out there just to try to try to sit, try to not be excited about them. So if you have mm -hmm. two or three or four guys who come in and are excited about players, then that those are the guys who tend to be high on your list. So once the, once the scouting season is over, the, they sit down their their final scouting meeting of the year before the draft, usually a few weeks before the draft, is they sit down and they just make a list. They sit around, bring in some food, sit, bring in some coffee. They're pretty much there all weekend, and they just sit down and go, okay, who's number one and why. And then they say, this guy is the best guy in the draft. Like this year, Shane Wright will be number one on their list. No questions asked. Okay, who's number two? They plunk in the second guy. And they go down the entire list of guys they've seen that they would consider drafting. There's some guys that are off the list, as in don't see any value in them, don't want to pick them. Or like like last few years, for various reasons, there's been players that have had some off-ice issues that teams just don't want to touch. So for various reasons, players just aren't listed. Uh, and then, so the 2011 year was the first year they did the list but at that point uh you know the the head of head of scouting uh, todd button he's had various uh, various titles throughout his, his scouting career i believe he's head direct he's director of scouting he's director amateur of amateur, amateur. yeah he's director of amateur yeah, scouting director of amateurs but, but essentially he's been the head amateur scout since 2001 and yeah. so in 2011 he, he there's two players that they thought were unique enough that they didn't quite want to box themselves in for picking one of them was Kucherov. Yeah. yeah, one of them was Nikita Kucherov, who uh, was selected in, I believe, the second round by the Tampa two Bay Lightning. Two or three picks after Flame uh, Olympian Tyler Witherspoon. Winter Olympian Tyler Witherspoon. Good luck, there Tyler. Go. Uh, but the other the the other guy they had was Johnny Gaudreau, partially because you know they 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 saw some insane insane talent, and at that point the Flames were simply you know, the 2011 Flames were. Let's be, in all due respect to Daryl Sutter as, as a as a coach, he wasn't a great GM in terms of you know trading a lot of things that really really emptied out the the prospect cupboards. Partially trading prospects, trading picks, trading a lot of assets that could have been turned into the depth in a lot of positions. So the Flames did not have a lot of the cupboards in 2011. So they needed everything, and the thing they needed most was guys who score goals. And you know maybe maybe you know the jury was still out at that point is how the game was changing. And, you know, they had some small guys at that point, they'd already, I believe, you know, they'd already traded for, for some smaller guys, but there's still the thought process uh, that Feaster had was doesn't matter what size they are. You know, if they're, if they have a certain number of small guys, a certain number of big guys, assets are assets. You just wanted to pick the best guys you could. So Todd Button, you know, he made the case to, uh, to Wise Broad and Feaster, Hey, let me keep these two guys off the list. And when I think it's time, I'll, I'll draft them. 
And the Flames drafted Johnny Gaudreau. And at that point, he went to college. People were like, oh, I don't know how this small guy who tore up the U.S. Junior League that we're not really sure about, uh, if he can translate to college. He ended up going mm-hmm. to he, – he ended up going to Boston College. And it took him, I'd say, about maybe three weeks to figure out the, the NCAA game. He was a very good freshman. He was a exceptionally good sophomore. He went back for his junior year to uh, play with his younger brother, Matt who uh, I believe now is edited. He left hockey. He's coaching actually uh, uh, in the, in the, the, the Philadelphia area, actually the rink where, uh, where Johnny and him got their start playing, which I think is really fun. That's uh, cool. But yeah, Johnny was, you know, he was shortlisted for the, after his sophomore year for the Hobie Baker award, he didn't win. And he wanted to go back to play a year with his brother because you never know if he, he'd never get that, probably never get that chance again. I mean, all due respect to his Very brother, rare. but his brother was not a high-end player, not a high-end pro, but him and his brother chose Boston College together when, uh, when Johnny made his college commitment. And the idea was, let's play a year together. So they got a chance to play a year together. Johnny was a two points per game college player, won the scoring title uh, in the U.S. college system by a country mile, won the Hobie Baker, got signed that day. The Flames sent Craig Conroy in a private jet to, to commit Johnny Pick to sign. So jo- Johnny and uh, his linemate, Bill Arnold, si- both signed. They met Conroy, si- signed the contracts, got in a plane, flew to Vancouver, played a game with the Canucks, Gaudreau scored a goal. And the following season, Gaudreau kind of struggled for the first five games to figure out what he needed to do. He got healthy scratch for a game against Columbus. One, one healthy scratch, and we have never looked back. And at that point, you know, having you know, that I, I covered the Flames that year. I think that was my third or fourth year covering the Flames uh, full time ish. And the the thing at that point was, you're like, man, could Gaudreau figure this out? And he there was there was whispers maybe they'll send him to the AHL. Maybe the, like maybe maybe this kid's just not as good as we thought he was. You know, at some point, everybody finds a level, Shane. You know, you can you can be the you know there, there's the NHL is full of great 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 hockey players that just aren't quite as great as they were at lower levels in the NHL because the NHL is very hard. But mm-hmm. Johnny Gaudreau, uh, he had five games where he looked extremely ordinary. He took a game off, watched the game from up top, came back down and had two points against the Winnipeg Jets and has been very close to a point per game player ever since. Uh, as of right now, uh, actually, Shane, you, I think you have the, uh, you have some, I have some the stats on stats. Johnny Gaudreau's, uh, where he stands in Flames all-time history. So currently, Johnny Gaudreau has 547 points in 561 games. He is 17 points behind Gary Souter for the top-scoring American of all time in Flames history, which I don't know about you, Ryan, but I think he does it. As a disclaimer, we're recording this game between the back-to-backs. We're recording this on Wednesday prior to the Arizona game. So if Johnny Gaudreau, if he scores another, if he has another four or five-point night, we apologize that our math is slightly off. Add add to the totals while you're listening to this. Um, and yeah, and he's uh, he's got a good chance. I don't think he catches Newendike this year. Uh, Joe Newendike has 616 points, 577 games. He was obviously a Stanley Cup champion in Great Flame. Um, Johnny Gaudreau in the modern era, though, is doing this at a very high level. Um, he yeah, currently sixth all time. Uh, 41 games left as at the time of saying this based on his current point production he'll get at least 41 points being conservative um, that would put him at 588 and yeah fifth all time 
Yeah, so. I think uh, for those of you following along at home, so Johnny Gaudreau, uh, I believe he's right now seventh all-time in points. He's behind mm, Hall, of Famer, Hall of Famer Jerome McGinley, uh, Theron Fleury, Hall of Famer Al McInnes, Hall of Famer Joe Neuendijk, uh, Hall of Fame contender perennially Gary Suter, uh, and he's behind Kent Nilsson in terms of uh, all-time uh, Flames franchise oh. history. Uh, if yeah. the, so, what the thing is, the thing you might notice there is, okay, Aginla played during the dead puck era, but Flurry, McKinnis, Newendike, Suter, and Nilsson all played in the high scoring 80s, where goalies looked like they were basically tying newspapers to their pads. If you ever, if you ever see clips of, uh, of games in the 80s and 90s, you can see from the, the early 80s to the mid 90s, you know, Mike Vernon's legs get much, much, much thicker. And he, it looks like he turns into the state puff marshmallow man halfway through his career. And the reason was <laughs> they, you know, they really relaxed goaltending padding standards, partially because goaltendings were getting frigging hurt a lot by how hard the shots were. So that made sense. But essentially it's been an arms race between, you know, crazy scientific wacky sticks and goalies getting fatter in or pad wise in order to counter that. So we the the folks who who study analytics they use this thing called era adjusted scoring and our, our friends at hockey hockey reference uh on every pretty much every player page they have uh make a note of era adjusted scoring and it basically just can basically uh levelates per game scoring to what it is now uh, to era adjusted so you can compare johnny gaudreau to flurry mckinnis Suter, nielsen etc uh, jerome aginla uh, he has 1095 points in the you know non-adjusted uh he played during the dead puck era so his scoring goes up he, he gets it to 12 uh, 1207 points Floris goes down a little bit he goes to 826 al mckinnis is 692 joe newendike uh, 569 uh, and then gaudreau fits in right behind a right behind joe newendike era adjusted at uh, 547 at the time of this recording so all time if you adjust for scoring rates at various times of various players careers he is he's basically fifth. He's the fifth uh, highest scoring flame of all time behind three guys who are in the Hall of Fame and Theron Fleury. I don't know about you, Shane. That's that's some pretty good company to keep. And especially, you know, if you look at, you know, uh, you know, Joe uh, Jerome McGinley, again, again, dead puck era. And he spent the first half of his career when the Flames, to be charitable, did not have a lot of help. He didn't really play with high-end players until about halfway through his Flames tenure when Craig Conroy arrived and then Dean McCammon, and then they went out and got Lanco. And really, it wasn't until the Lake late- Lake Salius, Tongay, Camilleri kind of was his, like, yeah. peak. Like, those four guys were, like, the best guys he played with. But, but you so, can make a case that, that Jerome McGinley's highest scoring years were Jerome McGinley doing it on his own, and they didn't really get him help until later on in his career. Uh, and, and the rest of these guys, I mean – uh, Theo Fleury played in, in the 80s. And granted, I mean, Fleury played during the declining years where, you know, from the, the, the early 90s to the mid 90s, the Flames basically sold off the farm. But McKinnis in the high scoring 80s with a stack team, Neuendijk high scoring 80s with a stack team, uh, Suter high scoring 80s with a stack team, Kent Nilsson uh, played, it, you know, when, goal, when defense and goaltending was optional in the 70s. And, he, you know, he played, he, he spans back to the Atlanta Flames days. You know, and uh, and that the first, you know, he he still holds a single season record for number of points, uh, unadjusted points in a season, Trump, like 131. He was, uh, I think, fourth yeah. in scoring that year because that was the year that Gretzky scored like 190 points or something ridiculous like that. So this is this is to belabor the point. This is Shane and I going to say, if you compare Johnny Gaudreau, who is not you know all the way full of, through his Flames career, or at least the Flames season, he still has half a season left at the very least. 
he compares exceptionally well to the very greatest the franchise has seen. Best can, of the best. Do you make yes. a case if you want to say, you know, Jerome McGinley is the best player of all time? Yes, that's an I would say that's an indisputable fact. Yeah. Uh, but in that second tier of players, I mean, you know, maybe you can make a case that Mika Kippersoft deserves to be on his tier of his own, just underneath Mika, the camera. I think Mika, you can t- tie him directly into two. Like right behind Jerome, like we, the Vesna years, what he provided yeah. was great. But so, like, if, if you're, look, if you're just, looking like tier, if we a, want to separate B, and then tier, like in the third tier, there's some damn good players. Like basically, you, you know, there's there's so many yeah, very you get good into players. The, who's, the, who's the Lane Cows, the Husalius is the uh, you know, the, no, that, don't, the don't, those. Those are those are the those are even lower. Yeah, we're that, talking. That's, the that's, those are that's the hall of very good. But if you're looking at yeah. for like guys who have or will have their their jerseys retired, again, uh, you know, Johnny Gaudreau is right snugly in there. So, yeah. so I think we've established Johnny Gaudreau is damn good at hockey and damn important to the Calgary Flames. And we 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 established um, Ryan used like you said used the era adjusted points to look at guys from. Uh, the past um evolving hockey a great website has uh this thing called war wins above replacement they also have um in their explanations a tier um where zero to one is about an average player and there was eight thousand based on their example eight thousand three hundred and seventy seven players total tiered between based on how many wins they provide individually over the span of a year uh uh, zero to one is considered an average player about 41 percent of all players in the league fall into that category as you go up it gets less and less and less above three uh 2.68 that's 0.09 2.76 percent of the entire league can get war numbers above 3.0 but that's just statistically what happens each year so literally less than three percent of the players that play any games in the league ever get to that. And it's a cumulative, cumulative stat. So it goes as the year goes on. I luckily they allow us to sort the greatest season in the uh, modern era. So that's 07, 08 and up that we can track was Jerome again. He had a 5.2 war season in 07, 08. Um, but of the top five, two of those are 14, 15 and in 17, 18, Johnny Gaudreau. And these, he these also all, had an, these are all and, flame seasons. These are just flames only, just specifically flame seasons only. So from 07, 08 up till today, uh, and like I said, today is cumulative. So he's still got half a year left. And I already know for a fact this year, he's already at 2.6. So he's, he's going to beat it barring a terrible drop off, which I don't see happening with Kachuk and Lindholm. So lifetime, flames seasons that we can track this way johnny gaudreau has two of the top five seasons and three of the top seven those years were 14 15 17 18 18 19 where he classified as above a war of 3.0 currently this year he's at 2.6 anything above 3.0 evolving wild classifies as superstar season uh if you get to four, that's considered an MVP level season. And Johnny Gaudreau is on track to hit that. He's, so he's, he's going to flirt with MVP status this year. He's going to, he's yeah. going to be on a lot of heart ballots this year. But to, to, to kind of sum that up from uh, complete nerd talk into reality, 
is Johnny Gaudreau has consistently been a superstar for the Calgary Flames and even to this day is still doing such. He's the only player with, uh, I mean, Jerome McGinley, if we had data before 07, 08, he 100% would be in there. Like, I would love to have the data from the year the Jose Theodore stole the heart from him based on, we'll talk about, that's not relevant to the there, there, There's a reason we have public balloting now. Yes. Um, so, but but basically, you know, like Nazem Kadri, this is going to be the first season he ever cracked superstar status. I don't think that makes him a superstar. That just means he had a superstar level season. Johnny Gaudreau has done it three times already, about to be four, consistently over a span of seven years. That makes him an absolute superstar, no doubt in my mind. And that is why a player like him, uh, that's why it's so important to discuss him, because a player like him needs to be retained. I, I, I don't think it's controversial to stay. And, you know, it's been discussed in other places. The Flames would like to retain Johnny Gaudreau. Uh, you know, Pat Steinberg has reported recently that the Flame, you know, they're, they're still in conversation. They're talking. It's not like, you know, they're, you know, we, when, when at the beginning of the season, when the, the word came out that, you know, Johnny Gaudreau and the Flames don't really want to publicly discuss the negotiation, it's not, it wasn't them saying there's no negotiation. It's them saying we'd rather not do our business in first in, uh, in public. So they're talking. The Flames are very interested in retaining Johnny Gaudreau as they should be based on how good Johnny Gaudreau is. And I, I know there's been a lot written, spoken, whispered, whatever you want to say about Johnny Gaudreau's interest in staying in Calgary. And, you know, Pat, Pat's written on the site numerous times that he, he thinks that there's definite interest in staying in Calgary. If you look at, uh, you know, I'm working on a feature now that'll be on the site in, in later this week, just looking at Goudreau's history. And if you look at Goudreau's history, there's two things like Goudreau, one, he really likes to play hockey. He just, he, he's really only concerned about hockey. You know, he's, that's not to say that he doesn't care about money, but I think all things being equal, he just wants to go where there's a good hockey fit for him. And Calgary has been a great hockey fit for him. Uh, and two, Johnny Gaudreau is, he's a really loyal guy. Uh, and I'll provide some examples. First of all, I mean, Johnny Gaudreau, you know, he went to, uh, you know, he went to go play for the Dubuque, uh, fighting saints. And, you know, he, there's a lot of places he could have gone. He went to Dubuque and they, they really wanted him and they helped, they recruited him and they convinced him that he was the right place. And he had a great year there. And, you know, he ended up buying the team. He, he, he ended up buying the team that took a chance at him as, you know, Johnny, Johnny, nobody, he wasn't even Johnny hockey. And he was just John Gaudreau with, you know, uh, a stats line from, you know, leagues in the Philadelphia area that outside of Philly might not have meant anything to anyone, but, you know, Johnny Gaudreau got recruited by that team. They really liked him. He really liked it there. And he's spoken many times about how much he liked playing in Dubuque and he bought the team. So, I mean, if you're, if you ever want a good indication of what his time in Dubuque meant to him, Johnny bought the team. Second, yeah, he was uh, the owner. Yeah, like like John, Johnny Gaudreau, he you know he went to he was originally committed to Northwestern University or Northeastern University rather, and then the, the coach at the time, Greg Cronin, ended up going. Uh, he ended up signing with the Leafs uh, as a as a assistant coach. And so the month before the seat, the basically two weeks before the the, the NHL draft in 2011, Gaudreau was uncommitted as a college player, and he and his brother wanted to go play somewhere together, and so Boston College sold him on coming there. And, you know, so he, he and his brother were both committed and Johnny Gaudreau had, you know, the, at that point, the flames, I don't think the flames were completely sold on Johnny Gaudreau as becoming what he is now, but I think they were really curious and he's, they, you know, the communication between, you know, junior players who went to college and the NHL clubs usually something like, Hey, I'm going to go to this school. And they go, okay, cool. Have fun. Send us a postcard. See you at dev camp. So 
Johnny Gaudreau goes to Boston College his first year, and he has a great year. They win the national championship. He's the playoff MVP in the in the conference playoff tournament. Comes back to Dev Camp, and you know, Flames talk to him. Hey, what do you what do you want to do next year? He's like, well, you know, I you know, I I really I want to have another full year. I think there's there's things I can do in my game. You know, we, we spoke to him at development camp quite extensively. He said, you know, pretty much he was very straight straight up with everyone. You know, I really want to play with the Flames someday. You know, it was really cool that they drafted me, but there's things I still want to do in college. So he went, he went to play in the World Juniors. He went to go play at uh, you know various tournaments. He, he was the MVP of the Bean Pot. They ended up uh, you know winning their conference title. They lost in the national semifinals, actually regional semifinals that year. But he was you know best player in his conference, best player in his team. He went from being a good second you know top six uh, college player to being. A very good college player. Being he Hobie, was, five. He was Hobie, the, Hobie contender. Yeah, I think he was in the top five or six in Hobie Baker about in Hobie Baker contendership. Like he didn't win, but you know he he won a gold medal at the World Juniors. He was the leading goal scorer at the World Juniors. Like he did everything but win a national championship. And so at that mm-hmm. point, I think the Flames are very much like, man, we got to sign this guy because he's awesome. And so th- that's how they communicate to him. He came came to camp. They had a chat with him. Hey, you know we we think you're awesome. You know we don't know if there's much else for you to do at college. What do you think? What do you want to do? And he said, I want to go play with my brother. And they didn't try to talk him out of it. He, his, you know, so for him, when he ended up signing with the Flames, it, by all accounts, was not a tough decision after he won his Hobie Baker, granted, because there wasn't anything left for him to do in college, but because, you know, if the, if the main, if a lot of times if you're like, you could make millions of dollars and you, and you, and you decide to go play with your brother, some people will call you crazy. The Flames didn't call him crazy. The Flames just went, okay, cool. That's what he want. If that's what you want to do, we support you. And I think that I think that gave them, uh, you know, I think he has a lot of respect for how he was treated. Uh, in twenty, you know, twenty fourteen, when uh, he started off a season and struggled, they didn't park him in the AHL. They didn't, you know, they they let him figure it out on his own. They could, you know, at that point, uh, you know, uh, Brad Tree Living was the general manager, and Brad had, you know, no background with Johnny Gaudreau. He inherited Johnny Gaudreau, yeah, and you know, he was like. All right, cool. Yeah. Figure it out. And he figured it out. And since then, like, you know, there's been a few bumps in the road here and there, but you know, the, the flames and, and Johnny Gaudreau have had a very good relationship. Johnny really cares about hockey, but he, it seems like he really cares about loyalty. You know, uh, the flames by all counts have treated his family very well. And, you know, you, you know, his, his family seems to really respect the organization and vice versa. And I, you know, if you look at his history in terms of the team believed in him and drafted him when no one else did, I think the Washington Capitals were the only team in 2011 that didn't have a pick before 104th. Uh, for some reason, the Capitals just traded away all their picks that year, uh, and they didn't win anything. So good work, Washington. But every other team had at least two picks, two chances to take Johnny Gaudreau. Some teams had yep. seven. A yep. couple of teams had seven picks and didn't pick Johnny Gaudreau. The Flames had three picks before Johnny Gaudreau and then picked Johnny Gaudreau. And the fact that the Flames took a chance on Johnny Gaudreau meant something to him. And the fact that they, you know, they, every time he wanted to do something like go back to college for a second year or a third year or whatever, they said, do it. And I think that, I think that goes a long way with him because he's a guy that, you know, based on, you know, his relationship with his dad and, and how important family seems to be with him and how important hockey seems to be with him. He seems to value loyalty and he seems to value family and, uh, and hockey. And, those things, you know, if you look, if you're looking from, from a 10, from a, you know, a 10,000 foot view, they seem to align really nicely with how the flames have fit in with him. Um, 
even in 2016, when, you know, when uh, he had the, as, as an aside, as an aside, uh, friends, please do not refer to players who are restricted free agents who do not have contracts not showing up to camp as a holdout. It is not a holdout. If you don't no. a contract, you are not, you're, a holdout yeah. is if I refuse to render services for which I am contracted, that is me holding out on a valid contract. The Flames retained his rights as a restricted free agent, but he did not have a valid contract at that point. So he did not hold out. He simply did not attend a camp for which he was not contracted or obligated to appear at. Mm-hmm. And, and he still signed before the season started. Yeah, and because and he, he still, still signed for the season because he didn't want to wait. Yeah, and you know the, the the there was a deal on the table, and he told his he told his agent Lewis Gross, okay, I don't want to miss games. Take the deal. So I think I think as long as the Flames give him a fair deal and a respectful deal, and don't make him feel like they're nickel and diming him, as long as he feels respected and and, uh, and valued, I think the Flames have a very good chance of retaining his services. And Calgary has one tool in their pocket that no other team can even utilize, and that's the eighth year. Now, Calgary can give Johnny the eighth year. They can give him more money, and they can lower the AAV as well, uh, depending. There's lots of ways they could go about it. But the the point is, if Johnny gets to free agency, or if he ever went there, those teams can only offer seven years, period. Now, once it goes past that deadline, Calgary can also only sign him to seven years. So if you want to use the eighth year as a tool, it has to be done. July 15th is this year, right? Like that's the free agency day. 15th Unless it's changed with COVID. It, nope. it was Nothing shifted. Nothing shifted. Yeah. So so the 15th. So on July 14th, the Flames can give Johnny an eighth year of a deal. When that clock ticks over the time limit on the 15th, that's off the table and it's free game for everybody. So we saw it happen with John. Uh, the only other major example, uh, there's a, a couple of guys hitting free agencies, Artemi Panarin and um, John Tavares. Now, Panarin's numbers uh, dwarf Johnny's in terms of production, uh, points per game, stuff like that. And John Tavares plays a very important position in center. So naturally, those guys got a lot of money. Johnny Gaudreau, probably similar similar range. Um, we have multiple articles. Um, Ryan's wrote them himself, projecting his next contract and and what's worth and whatnot. Um, um, I think it's eight and a half, eight point seven five into the nine and a half range. Like Mark Stone, yeah, it, it it depends on the length. I mean, the the nice the 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 nice thing for the Flames is so Johnny Gaudreau is twenty eight, uh, or he's yeah he's twenty eight. So he'll be he'll turn uh, twenty. Yeah, he's he's twenty eight now. He's a ninety three birthday, I think. So in August he turns twenty nine. So uh, a seven August thirteenth, yeah, yeah. So an eight an eight year deal takes him until he's 36 going on 37 yeah so he doesn't ever age during the season if you're projecting if you're projecting him out that means that you know an eight-year deal actually any pretty much most deals but a long-term deal captures his you know if if you look at the uh, the old bell curve of how players tend to age the aging curve uh it tends to go up a bit it peaks depending on the position and the player around you know 26 27 28 and then it starts gradually declining. Unless you're Mark Giordano, in which case it only declines when you're 38 and leave the Calgary Plains. Uh, but the the big the big thing is, you know, for most players, once you get into your 30s, and especially your mid to you know mm-hmm. 30s, your your progression declines. You start scoring a little bit less, and you need more specific usage. So right now, Johnny Gaudreau can be Johnny Gaudreau against anybody. 
I mean, you know, in his mid, in, by the time he's 31, 32, he, he might need a little bit of help. We saw it with Jerome McGinley. So yeah. a longer deal captures more years of declining production. So for, for a lot of players, if you sign them, you know, to a, a long-term deal, you capture all of their productive years and other declines. So your cap is way, way, way up. Like Mitch Murner's contract is insanely high because it's only capturing his up years. Uh, but yeah. Gaudreau's deal, which will, you know, if it's eight years, will go into to his 36, will probably capture, you know, the, the gradual. The, 30, the 35, 36, 37 years will probably see a decrease in salary. And that lowers the AAV. That, yeah, that's, lower that's, the AAV. So. And that's why, like, if you're if you're the Flames, you know, for those of you who are curious, this, this Gaudreau contract will all be UFA years, which pushes the dollar amount up. But the Flames can give him signing bonuses. The Flames can give him, uh, you know, no move and no trade clauses of various stripes. Uh, they can't do they can't do performance bonuses. That's only for entry level deals and thirty five plus contracts. But for Johnny mm-hmm. Gaudreau, he will he'll be paid handsomely. I would imagine you, if you want to do eight years, it's a number starting with a nine. If you want to yes. say eight years, nine point five ish million, somewhere in that range, I would say that probably feels about right. Can the Flames afford that? Yeah. Can other would other teams pay more? I don't know because we're in a unique situation this year where because of COVID impacting numbers of, for attendance in Canada and generally speaking, NHL revenues. If you look at the if you go to ESPN.com, which has a fantastic chart that charts this, they have a table of all the uh, historical attendance figures for all these different different leagues uh, or different different NHL seasons. And the one thing they they show is pretty much across the board, NHL attendance is down. Partially, you know, it could be for COVID reasons, could be people yeah. are a little bit nervous being in crowds, could just be economic reasons. I mean, you know, the, the, the North American economy, if you're not paying attention, hasn't been great the last couple of years. We've seen worse. Yeah. We've seen a lot better. When things are better, attendance goes up. When things are worse, attendance tends to go down. And, you know, so league-wide, attendance has been a little bit soft. And then we had the Omicron wave that sort of, you know, Push numbers down for in, a lot of markets. So they right, drink from say Alberta uh, and, and like Ontario, know, Montreal, Quebec, BC. Band. So, so it, especially, I mean, the Canadian markets do make money regardless what they you say. So having that is a massive impact but, to revenue, and the players got to pay back the difference in the escrow. They 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 they, they begin, uh, based on reporting from our friend Frank Cervelli at Daily Faceoff and. Uh, Sean Shapiro with The Athletic, the NHLPA collectively owed about, I think, 1.1 bill, somewhere around there. The estimate was if they, before the Omicron wave, you know, gave the attendance a big old kick in the stomach, it looked like we were projecting to have attendance or have every, the escrow debt paid off around the beginning of the 24-25 season, which Ooh. would boost up suddenly instead of, you know, cap the cap going up maybe a million dollars at a time and nudging up little bits of time, then or, the big US TV deals would kick in and boom, everybody gets like an extra seven or eight or nine million dollars. What, so, what what was projected when, when we talk about the Marner, we mentioned the Marner cut, that's what, why at the time that contract was deemed okay, because we're going to get that cap room later. No one knew the virus was coming. Well, even even at that point, they it was I think it was pre-COVID, so I think it was people were like revenue is going to keep on going up forever. Yeah. So like like if, like oh, we'll sign these guys for this much money because in three years we're going to have another ten million in cap space that I could use to fill out for depth, right? They, they were looking at year to year revenue uh, growth. They were looking at uh, potential TV deals on the horizon that had finally come to fruition. 
But the, the thing is now, this is our long way of saying, so right now, it's not like every team is going to be entirely flush with cap space this summer and be able to throw 10 mil at Johnny Gaudreau. Yeah. As much as they'd all like to, I'm sure, I'm sure out of 30, 31 other teams in the league, you have 31 other teams that would really like to have Johnny Gaudreau on their team if they could afford it. The problem is not everyone has the cap space. Not everyone can make the cap space. And a lot the, of teams threw a lot of money out this free agency and with term more like the first COVID free agency was a lot hesitant, a lot of, you know, the one where the flame signed Levo, it, it was a lot of, uh, you know, okay, one year deals here. We're gonna go league men. You know, Taylor Hall signed that one year. You know, like okay, let's see where I they mean, go. If you if it's you want to if you want to be mean about it, you can say Levo. They also signed Jacob Markstrom and Chris Tanev. But well, sure, let's team. just say let's just pick on you know on uh, on Carolina oh. prospect Josh Levo. Well, what Nord, Nordstrom didn't exactly work out for the depth purposes, right? Hey, but. hey, how dare you disparage Russian Olympic Committee Olympian? Well, Keen words. No, he's Swedish. I'm sorry. Swedish. <laughs> I keep no. I'm think. I was thinking of Nikita Nesterov, who's another one oh, of those, nasty, those, uh, yeah. those dollar bin signings. Well, yeah. Right. So anyway, so that's that's a long way of us saying um, there's not. It's not like there's there's probably not going to be a lot of money injected into the system until optimistically 24, 25, and probably realistically, it might take another season because of all all the COVID stuff. So it could be 25, 26 before we see the big injection of external money from the US TV deals. It might happen in 24, 25, but- They are doing some more things. Like we've heard of the, I mean, Buffalo's confirmed what their design is. The reverse retro jerseys are making another comeback. Reverse retro 2.0. That won't make a damn bit of difference in the cap. No, and, but, and Mike Gould's favorite team, the Arizona Coyotes, gonna be playing at a college rank for with a 3,500. 3, uh, Elliot Friedman thinks that it'll be about 3,200 for capacity once they do all the things they need to do to make it NHL ready. And right I, now, before before the salary before COVID, Arizona was playing before an average attendance of 14.5. So you're going from 14.5 to 3,200, and unless you completely jack up ticket prices, you ain't making their revenue difference. So. I, I agree with Pinder. Pinder said it on the radio and he was completely like, does anyone really think that this is going to go through like this? Like I, I like the one suggestions I think uh, he mentioned is like, why don't you go let them play in Quebec for 10, like the first two months while you sort out your arena stuff, like give them a little, appease them a bit, come back, obviously way more complicated than any of us can probably. And, and, and why, why don't the Montreal, why don't the, uh, the Tampa Bay Rays go play in Montreal for half the year? It's just, it's just, it's, 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 it'd be a situation that makes everyone mad. Logistically so difficult to do a double city thing, but I mean, I'm, I, like I said, I'm with them. Just like, I don't honestly think that that plan is going to go through. Like, I think it's going to go through, but I think it's going to be a disaster. I don't think the other owners want them to like, like how long are we going to keep like, like they're on a defibrillator right now. They're on like, they're literally on life support and this is won't even do anything about this, it. This, this, this is literally uh, their owner no. sitting down screaming, live, damn you live. Uh, yeah. <laughs> with tears in his eyes, but that has nothing to do with Johnny Gaudreau. We're getting off topic here. That is to say, so if the idea, if, if your thought process is, Oh, 
wouldn't wouldn't you know we we Shannon and I talked about this bit before we started recording. You know, if you're thinking, oh man, you know, why why would Johnny Gaudreau stay in Calgary? We just gave you a bunch of reasons why he'd stay in Calgary. Why would he leave? Well, one of them is money, which I mean, yeah, money is money. If if you want money, you know, you can go you can go play in the United States. And there's a lot of there's a lot, you know, even though there's not going to be a lot of new money in the system, there's going to be some teams that they're going to be willing to throw stupid money at. Him. And I mean, yeah, stupid Pete. If you want to throw stupid money at him, throw stupid money at him. He might leave. I mean, that's just that's always if you know if if someone came to Shane and said we want to give you three times what you're making at Flames Nation, we would be very sad to see him go, but we'd be like, dude, that's awesome. Go make that bread. It's it, it's like an understandable thing. Like like I if Johnny ever like if it ever got to the off season and he did decide to go like, I'm never going to be resentful for him. Like he's given at Calgary, everything he's got, like we watch it every day. And if he were to get to the point where he said he wanted to go to free agency and sign somewhere else, like as a fan, I'm, I'd be upset, but he did give at Calgary everything he had. Totals his pacing. Like he's, he's given it everything he's got. It's not, his entire fault that, you know, there's still holes in the roster. So I think, you know, we, we, if there, there might be a temptation to go to market, I will say that it's very, we don't want to say tampering happens in the national hockey league, because based on the way the national hockey league defines tampering, tampering doesn't happen. Tampering would be me going, you know, me as Johnny goes, Gaudreau's agent, hypothetically going to fill to, let's just say to throw out a team, the Philadelphia Flyers, hypothetically. I go to the Philadelphia Flyers and say, hi, I represent Johnny Gaudreau. Would you like to sign Johnny Gaudreau? If Johnny Gaudreau has a contract with an NHL team that's still active, you can't go and negotiate a contract for a player who's currently under contract elsewhere. That is the textbook definition of tampering as defined in the CBA. But if I was going to go to the general manager of the Philadelphia Flyers and say, hey, you know, it'd be cool. Like, you know, uh, hypothetically, if a player with a hundred ish points to five, seven, 160 pounds, left shot forward, left wing, you know, good, good at shootouts, good at dangling. Hypothetically, if, if somebody, let's just say, call him Jay hockey, just to throw it in. So put a name on it. Uh, if this hypothetical Jay hockey were to become a free agent, would you be interested? And more or less, how much cap space do you think you'd be able to allocate to that position? Uh, that is, Generally speaking, what kind of sort of happens? You're not allowed to negotiate a contract, but you can talk hypotheticals and just sort of, and agents and players, agents and coaches, or agents and GMs talk all the time about, you know, maybe I had, you know, maybe I have a, a college client that you might be interested in, a European client. So there's, there's constant communication, minor league players who be pushing for NHL contracts, uh, players who are becoming, who are, you know, part of your club who require new contracts and so on. So agents are vastly becoming parts of front offices now because they want, so, and, and want a player, they want a perspective in the front you, office. Hockey is an extremely small world. Uh, so it's congratulations, it's, Emily. Yeah, and Kent Hughes too. That those yeah, like, yeah, and yeah. as an aside, I love what Vancouver's doing. They're just they're between between they're just bringing in a lot of unique, smart people from different backgrounds, and it's going to make them a better hockey club in the long term. In the short term, who knows? But in the long term, it's going to be better. But yeah, it's going to so, cause us pain in the long term, but I mean. But, but yeah, so what ends up happening is, like say, if you wanted to know, if you were Johnny Gaudreau and you wanted to know 
kind of sort of what's out there for a player like you. It's not hard to find out. You don't need to go to free agency to figure out what you could get in free agency. Mm-hmm. But if you want to test free agency, like maybe you want to go meet with people where you want to go to the things, those are the kind of things you can only do once you're an actual free agent, but then you lose the potential eighth year. So there's a trade-off. There's always a trade-off. I mean, you know, well, it's kind a of benefit for him as well. It's a benefit for Johnny himself if he wants that extra money per se, but like everything we've just kind of, I said, you know, the extra years of Boston, he could have signed earlier, you know, he could have made more money. It doesn't seem, um, you know, taking the contract because he didn't want to miss games. It doesn't seem like money is exactly Johnny Gaudreau's first priority. It if, really if, if like money was his first priority, he, would have, he wouldn't have signed when he signed last time. That's exactly. not to say that, that's not to say, you know, priorities change, but, you know, he, he's married now. He's, you know, who knows when he's eventually going to start a family. You know, prior, priorities change. Like, you know, I'm, I'm in my 30s now. My priorities are different than my priorities were in my 20s. I mean, you know, look at how I spend my time, Shane. Look at how I spend my time. <laughs> you hang out with me now. <laughs> so, I mean, we're, you know, we're, we're not going to, you know, let's, let's be honest. You, you, if you're a professional athlete, you know, look, look at, look at, uh, look at Mark Savard. That's a good mm. example. Mark Savard shows you that, you know, hockey players can, you know, as tough as they are and as, as uh, you know, good as they are playing through stuff, they're, they can be fragile, especially particular parts of the human body. I'd say yeah. the knee, the knees and the brain are probably the most fragile parts of the human anatomy based on what I know about hockey. And, you know, you, you won't, it won't last forever and you oh, need to right. do what you need to do to take care of your family. So no one's going to begrudge anyone, Johnny Gaudreau or anyone, for going out and trying to uh, maximize their value in an open market. That's that, you know, they, if they're, they're within, you know, there's what 900 players in the national hockey league right now. And the 900 players in the national hockey league are probably the top 1% of everyone playing hockey professionally, otherwise on the planet. And yeah. of those 900 players, the top 1%, Johnny Gaudreau is pr- incredibly in the hockey. top. I, I, let's if we're we well, we just determined that well based on war anyways yeah like if 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 you want to if you want to if you want to broaden the definition of value top five percent of the top one percent yeah like he's tops of the top he's yeah. deser- he, he 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 deserves the payout like he he does he's earned it you get paid based on what you've done not what you're going to do it's it's i've heard that phrase before um you know you've earned you know you earn your contract and um, another example of someone who who signed a nice big deal for themselves before their career got derailed, unfortunately by injuries, would be Michael former flame Michael Furland. Like he still got that. Like the money's insured through health insurance and whatnot, so he still got his payout despite being concussed and and off the off the books. But I mean, like that's the like one one bad turn, and that's all. It's that's really all it can take. So. There is an importance, uh, and the and the PA also emphasizes it because they want the contracts to rise, so you know lesser players can earn more money or get lesser. I mean, like we're talking about, like you said, the top one percent here. These guys could all run any of us over in a random pickup match, like just destroy and, us. And they have, and they yeah, have. and they and they have. I, I I play beer league with an a, a guy that played in the AHL, former Flames draft pick. And yeah, he, he, when he tries, it's not even close. Like, it's just like, it's, these guys are even like the low end, even, even though you got the fans like to razz on Brett Ritchie, the, Brett Ritchie the, still the, the, on the, a worst, ton of drink. the worst player in the national hockey league could absolutely ragdoll you and everyone you play with. Exactly. And so that's to say the NHLPA wants those players that are at that top tier to take the money they're worth 
So the contracts for the other guys, the guys that are playing in third lines and whatnot, they can earn more money. Like it's yeah, not yeah. just about one player. They are part of a union. The, the, the NHLPA, the, the NHLPA and the players, the players agents, their main, their main thing is making sure that players maximize their value. And to be honest, so are the GMs, like the GMs, the GMs are seeking value, but they, they really want to do fair contracts because if you're, if you're a GM that has a reputation for nickel and diming players, and you know, low ball like global offer guys, then you're not going to be in in the racket very long because hockey is a very small world. So yeah. it's 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 in everyone's best interest for players to get what they deserve, and that's our roundabout way of saying pay that man his money. Uh, Johnny Gaudreau is going to get paid very handsomely. I'm really no I'm, matter what. I'm really fascinated how it's going to play out because if if you want to poke holes in this game, uh, let's see, let's let's play hypothetical uh, arsehole in the comments. One, not a lot of playoff success. Yeah, okay. He has not had a lot of playoff success at the national hockey level. He has had great college success. He's had great international success. He's had great junior success. But at the national hockey level, where success is very tough, he has not had a lot of success. This this year could change that for him. But so mm-hmm. far, that is, I think, a valid complaint. Two, Johnny Gaudreau is small. Yes, he is still small. He is never not going to be small. He's been the smallest player in his team. Probably one of the smaller players in every league he's played in since he was probably six or seven years old since he's played high and hockey he's been the smallest guy if not the smallest one of the smallest in every level of play it hasn't made a difference that's a bad criticism uh he's not very good defensively he's fine defensively if you look at the if you, this year especially he's been quite good if you look at uh, the the goals and above replacement and uh, war models that evolving hockey has johnny gaudreau is you know, he's an above replacement level player, player defensively. And to be honest, he's not Michael Backlund. He's not being paid to shut down, you know, and, and negate offense. He's being paid to create offense. So he's very good offensively, which makes him good defensively because the other team never has the puck. Will that last forever? Who knows? As long well, he's as he's got a consistent has- coach now as well. That's everything. He, like, yeah. Over his time, he's, he's, we, we've, we talked about this on a previous podcast. He, he cycled through coaches and now he's got a consistent coach. He's got a consistent role. He's got consistent line mates that are tremendously skilled. And, and you know, coincidentally, you know, when he was the most successful earlier in his career in Boston college, Jerry York was a defensive systems coach. He was, you got to play consistent checking and defense in order to maintain puck possession. And lo and behold, he was really, really good in college because Johnny, he had consistent coaching the whole time. Johnny, especially under the Sutter, uh, the, we could say Sutter system, but, but I mean, it, every coach, Kirk Muller, uh, 100% has had an input on this, but like Johnny does a great job. If he gets in the zone, he's on the four check, he gets the puck, he delays, he waits to draw the defender in, and then he rims it. The, the Flames do this, you'll watch it a thousand times a game, rim it around the net because they want to send it to the other, other side of the ice, shift the entire defenders over so they can... Oh, free. Then all of a sudden Johnny's free up to leave the wall, find some space. And if the puck comes back to him, well, he's got room to maneuver and do something creative or whatnot. But the key is they keep the puck away from the defenders until someone has space and they use the boards to do that. And once someone has space to skate, they can do things with it. Uh, game against Dallas last night, Lindholm does that elbow of the puck. It lands on uh, Kachuk's stick. He notices the other defenders in the corner with Lindholm. He's got room to walk in front of the net. Cap goes off Hollinger's pads right to Johnny Gaudreau, who noticed that Chuck was driving the net, was able to find that space and put the tying goal home. So it, it, it works. And Johnny can play that system because he's never in the corner really digging. He always keeps the possession 
alive. And then he allows Lindholm or Kachuk to get in there and do that. And it, he, it, and he all, and he trusts his defense. That's the number one thing I think that all of the forward lines have been able to do, even good Branson and Zadarov, they've been able to trust that they know where they're going to be and they know what they're going to do with the puck. So it's allowed him to play his game. It's allowed him to find more breakaways. It's allowed him to find more space, more speed. And as long as they can keep that line together, you know, you're, you're offering him tremendous success. So I just, mean, I, I fully believe if Johnny Gaudreau stays in Calgary and stays healthy, that he ends up with his number in the stands. So right next to 12. As a high, high level summary, the executive summary of the last hour, uh, one, Johnny Gaudreau is really, really good at hockey. I mean, really they, damn. They, they don't call you Johnny hockey. If you're only above average or slightly decent at hockey, he, he earned that nickname, you know, from very vociferous college fans. And he's maintained that nickname by simply being very, very good. Uh, he was the 104th player selected in the 2011 NHL entry draft. At this point, he is fourth in scoring. Uh, the only guys ahead of him, and they're not there that far ahead of him. Uh, Nikita Kucherov has, uh, I believe, doing math in my head really quickly, 17 more points than uh, Johnny Gaudreau. Jonathan Uberdo has, I believe, 15 more points. And then 10 ahead of him is Gabriel Landeskog. Everybody else has, has fewer. That's yeah, pretty good. Second, for his second and third overall pick. I mean, he's outpacing first. Uh, he's outpacing first overall in Nuge. Uh, you know, Mark Shifley in from Winnipeg. Like, like this. This isn't. He's outpacing some like the players. Mika Zabinajad, Sean Couturier, uh, J.T. Miller, Vincent Trocheck. Like these are decent top six players in the NHL. Same draft class as Johnny. Johnny's bet. Johnny's been outpacing them his whole career. So he's very, very good. He's shown the ability to be adaptable. Uh, if you look at this year, we, you know, we, we jokingly say on social media, that's contract year, Johnny. But we also say Johnny backcheck because he's his puck pursuit away from the puck has been very, very good to the point where he's generating odd man rushes by creating turnovers the other way, which is just, it's good to see because if you're Daryl Sutter, Daryl Sutter said a bunch of times, uh, the, the team's only going to go, you know, the, the team takes its cues from its best players. And if you have Kachuk, Lindholm, Gaudreau, those kind of guys, just being crazy puck pursuit back checking guys, it's going to bleed through the whole roster because it sends a message that this is how you have to play to be successful on this team. So they have, and they have been successful. Uh, let's see what, what else we have. Um, yeah. Jo Johnny Gaudreau is the best player in the team. One of the best players in franchise history and he's going to get paid. Uh, do we think so as a high level summary, uh, we think the Calgary Flames should try to re-sign Johnny Gaudreau. Uh, no. As far as we know, they are very interested in trying to sign Johnny Gaudreau. And from everything we're hearing, Johnny Gaudreau remains very open to remaining a Calgary Flame long term. He seems to like it here. His wife moved here, so she lived doesn't she lives here full time. Yeah, so does he. she lives here. Yeah, same, same. They've got a group, the like a players' wives group and and whatnot that hang out and they do a lot of events and stuff together. So. Will 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 Johnny Gaudreau be cheap? No, he's going to cost money because he's a very good player. Very good players cost very good amounts of money. But I I don't think it's a secret to say that uh, the Johnny Gaudreau contract is and should be their top priority. And realistically, they the other things they need to do: Oliver Shillington. Andrew Machipani, Matthew Kachuk are the prime ones above them or among After them. After they get the Gaudreau thing sorted out with the UFA years and what they're worth, then they can then they can start. You, Once that's done, then they can really start looking at Kachuk and Manj Manjipani. You, you, need, so, you need to know how much money you're paying your best player before you figure out what's left for everybody else. And all due respect to everybody else. 
all Calgary operated like that for years until the Kachuk uh, bridge deal. You know, the captain Geo got paid this. We don't want to pay. We don't want to pay more than that. Like we feel like our best player should get the most money. I mean, they obviously eventually had to come around to, to the and increase because the cap went up. <laughs> yeah. But the the other thing is uh, the question that fans want to know a lot of, which I, I, folks we don't have the answer to that is, will he do it? Will he sign before the trade deadline? But we don't. We I don't, don't think. I wouldn't think so. I, I think this is a, they're going to do it at the end of the year thing based on everything. Like, like if they were going to sign them for the trade deadline, why wouldn't you try to, I mean, you may, I mean, like we said, they're constantly in discussion with Lewis Gross. So like, like this isn't something that they don't, they're not going to be blindsided out of if, nowhere. If the main, but, if the main criticism that you can muster up after eight years of pro hockey of Johnny Gaudreau is he can't get it done in the playoffs if you were representing him, would you advise him to sign before you can see if he can get it done in the playoffs? I mean, especially based on the role he's playing now and the strength of the Calgary's team and the weakness, current weakness of the Pacific division, which is another factor. I mean, there, there's, there's plenty of room for them to easily make the second round. Like they, they like, like, and I say easily likely, I mean, it's NHL, any bounce can happen, any, anything can go wrong on any given night since, since johnny gaudreau is in the national hockey league this is the clearest path a team he's been on has had to the conference final and and sutter teams play hard in the playoffs they by the time they get there they may not finish first in their division but they know how to they they know how to play that seven game series and wear you down why they go back I mean, I think the Kings' second cup, they did it in 18 games or 19 games or something like that. Like, they only their, lost their, two. Their, their first cup, I think they took all but two games. I think they, they yeah, set them was, a record for number of games played in the playoff year. And then the next year, they the, the second year, they, they almost set the record for the fewest. Yeah, they, they said they, they only lost twice. It was tw- two or three times that they lost. They almost – they swept one two series, and then they they uh, they be, and then they lost once to Vancouver and twice to New York, I think it was, before Martinez put it in game six. So, like, that's all they lost because they were so structurally defensive. They had the pieces in play. I mean, Calgary most likely, and I, I don't think it's a, a surprise, is going to add someone at the deadline if the prices is- – I, I think they're adding multiple someones. Yes. So, like, there, there's, there's going to be more people coming. They're going to be in a position to make the playoffs – uh, a barn and knock on wood that they, they keep winning their games, which based on how they've played the last two, like two, three weeks, this last week specifically, just fine. Um, they need to really figure out how, you know, Vancouver has been a, a, a nightmarishly good at keeping defenders out and Calgary was no exception. They need to find a way to penetrate that down low against these heavy teams and drive the net. But I mean, they still got another half a season to figure that out. And again, like we said, most likely reinforcements coming to, help that so Calgary's in a good position Johnny Gaudreau's great at hockey we want him to stay forever there we go <laughs> they're 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 a more interesting team to cover with Johnny Gaudreau on them uh so to to give fans a very brief summary that we can clip and put up on uh on Twitter and YouTube do we do we think Johnny Gaudreau wants to sign in Calgary yes do we think the Calgary Flames want to re-sign him definitely yes should they want to re-sign him definitely yes will he be cheap no should he be cheap no uh, will he sign tomorrow? Probably not. There's no reason for him to rush it. Uh, will he sign over the tread deadline? We, we really strongly doubt that it will because both the player and the team have very good reasons to wait, partially because you want to see what other things happen in the marketplace. Also, you kind of want to see how he does in the playoffs because if Johnny Gaudreau can be a big-time player performer, it put, punctuates his case for a tremendous raise and a very long-term contract 
potentially in Calgary, possibly elsewhere, but the Flames have the wherewithal to really keep him long-term. They have the cap space to keep him long-term with other deals coming up. They have uh, a general manager that seems to really like him. They have uh, a system that really seems to work for how he wants to play. And, uh, you know, they, they have the ability to give him that eighth year. So if you're a player and you want structure, you want long-term stability, and you want sweet, sweet money, the Flames can give you all of those things. We are not here to make that case to, to the player because as far as we know, Johnny Gaudreau and his agent don't listen to us, nor should they. They should have better people to listen to than us. We're just telling you, don't freak out about Johnny Gaudreau. Things are going to tend to, things tend to work out. And this isn't a, a team that tends to let their best assets walk. They tend to, to figure out ways to work things out. If, if, uh, it's under my presumption, because I don't know for sure, but Brad Trilliving is, is not as um, incoherent as some people may think. Uh, if Brad Trilliving thought Johnny Gaudreau was not going to come back, I imagine that he would do something about it. Like when the, the, just the, the, he didn't get there the, being dumb. The, just, it's, this is the sample size and the comparisons aren't perfect, but they, they had an, they had a good indication that Brandon Hickey wasn't going to sign as a college, as a college draftee. They traded into Arizona. They had a good idea that Adam Fox, when it became apparent that he wasn't going to sign, they traded him to Carolina and got some value for him. If they really thought that Gaudreau wasn't going to sign, they'd they trade him. Gaudreau has been very, very clear. Pat Steinberg asked him at the end of last season, hey, do you want to be in Calgary long-term? And he was very blunt. Yes, I'd love to be in Calgary long-term. So Johnny Gaudreau, since he was drafted, has been very upfront about once he wanted to play for the Calgary Flames one day, and then he signed with the Calgary Flames, and he, then he signed again with the Calgary Flames. And he seems really upbeat and excited about being part of the Calgary Flames. He'd be more excited about playing with the Calgary Flames if they won something. And I'm sure he'd love to do that and he'd like to be part of it. So again, that I think that's another reason why maybe, you know, it, I, I could see this going down to probably, I'd, I'd say June. I, I would be shocked if he, if, if he signed before June. Their season ends in the first round, second round, third round. I think regardless when it ends, you're going to see a bit of a break. The, the management team's going to have to obviously focus on the draft, but I think pre-draft. If oh, nothing, forget, the, forget the draft. This would be priority one. Yeah, as I was going to say, pre-draft, between, between when their season eventually ends, hopefully, I mean, we all Flames fans are hoping that it's the last game of the season. I mean, you always hope you win the last game of the season because that means you're the champ. So you're, but, saying, you're saying once they clean up the parade, once they swept everything up from, from 17th Avenue, once, once we've sort of gotten all the streamers out of everyone's hair and you know, stuff like that, that, then, they'll that sit, then they'll sit down and ink something. That that or a week after the depression kicks in, uh, okay. one of the so sh- one Shane, of those two things. Then I that's that's where I see the time. Shane, frame. Shane's out. Shane's official prediction is at the end of the parade. Uh, my official prediction is, I would say sometime in June. I would expect something. The draft is in July this year. Draft uh, July sixth and seventh. I would expect we're going to hear an announcement of some kind in June. Early um, mid June seems to track. Yeah. But yeah, like, uh, do we guarantee he's going to sign? No, because life doesn't have guarantees and that'd be silly. Uh, do we think there's a strong chance he'll sign? Yes, because why, you know, we, we made the, our case. Why would if, you're, if you've gotten this far into the podcast, you, you definitely know our, where we stand. So we think Johnny Gaudreau is an above average to moderately above average hockey player. And the Flames would be wise to retain his services as a hockey player for as long as they can, as long as it's for a, comp- a market competitive value. 
hundred percent. In in other words, pay that man his money. This has been Flames Nation Radio, the All Star Week edition, discussing the Flames' lone All Star this year, Johnny Gaudreau. We are brought to you as we are every week by DoorDash and by our dear friends at Eau Claire Distillery, who make the delicious, tasty, wonderful Rupert's Whiskey, the official whiskey of the Calgary Flames, still available at a store or website near you that sells such things. For Shane, I'm Ryan. Thanks for listening to us. We will be back next week to tee up the second half of the Flames schedule, or to be more precise, the last 49% of the Flames schedule, because we're recording this after game 42. So for, for Shane, I'm Ryan. Thanks very much for joining us, and we'll see you next week. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.